Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. What's up, universe? Jose Young's back with another episode of the A Side on MMAfighting.com. If you missed that, it's another episode of the A Side on MMAfighting.com. It's a new format still, as you know. Danny Segura. I don't have to introduce him because you can actually see him. I'm, he's over here. I don't know what side he's on in mine, but Danny Segura. A lot of people asking when you were going to come back. Everyone loves PT. Everyone loves AK. Everyone loves Danny, so I think we got this good group going. Danny's up now. I think I saw a lot of positive feedback on Twitter, on the YouTube, uh, after last week when Big, uh, Big E of WWE co-hosted. A lot of positive feedback. A lot of people were very impressed and surprised at how much MMA he knew, but a lot of people were also wondering when Danny, when PT, when AK were coming back. I think they like our uh, rhetoric back and forth where we can just talk MMA amongst friends, but Danny... What's up with you over in the other side of this country? I'm good, man. Everything's good. Here, happy to be back on the A side and ready to answer some questions. So also looking much, much crisper in this picture. Hopefully, we don't get another uh, video dropout like last time. Right. <laughs> don't pull a pizza. But as everyone knows, this is your show, not ours. We'll answer whatever questions you want, MMA or anything else. Um, you can drop them in the comment section. The green ones obviously get priority, but that doesn't mean we won't answer questions that aren't in the green. You can always go over to Twitter, use hashtag the A side, and we'll get to yours. Uh, but right out of the gate, from our friend Zaku Kokegi, apologize if I mispronounce that, and this is so far one of the most recommended one. Joe Silva's playbook, Bloody Elbow, released an article detailing on how Joe's treatment of fighters. Some of the main points were extending a fighter's contract if they turned down a fight. Or if they got injured, if a fighter didn't agree for, to a fight, con- fight contract extension, he would put them on the prelims. He got Hector Lombard to fight for less money or he would have been cut for the promotion. would like to hear your guys' thoughts if you had a chance to read the article. So, yes, Danny, we were talking about this a little before. I am pretty far along in the article. I really wanted to sit down and do a deep dive into it, but I haven't really had time because I flew out here to California for UFC 241 Fight Week. But I'll give him a shout-out. Tim Bissell of Bloody Elbow did write this excellent, excellent article kind of detailing the whole thing, uh, putting it into terms I think a lot of people will understand and can follow along. Uh, I don't know if you've had a chance to read it, but it's really done a – it's pulled the curtain back, if you would, on Joe Silva's tactics dealing with fighters, fighters' contract, extension, injured fighters. Uh, Have you had a chance to read this article, and what do you make of it? Yeah, so I, I read, um, you know, I, I I read a good amount of it, um, and I also dove into the video that's also on that link that you can click, uh, which is pretty informative. However, it's very extensive; it's an hour and twenty minutes, and even the article itself is very heavy on the type of uh, language in which is written. Um, so it's something that, like as you mentioned, you have to go back and like look through several times over, and 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 also you know pull up these fighters, uh, you know Wikipedia pages and and kind of align the timeline into like 
when that happened, I believe the Hector Lombard was like into his fourth fight and then yeah. all of a sudden they wanted to change his pay. Um, and they basically, or Joe Silva basically was like, we either cut you or you take the fight for $100,000 when you were supposed to make, I think, 205 to show and 75K to win. Mm-hmm. So a pretty significant cut. And, you know, it details also a bunch of other things. Again, like this is a very, thanks to the UFC antitrust uh, lawsuit, this is like a, there's a lot of information to, to digest here. Um, but yeah, some things kind of didn't surprise me. Um, Joe Silva, for example, in one admitted and he said, oh, like Nick Diaz is on his last uh, UFC con- uh, fight on his UFC contract. Um, you know, we I'm going to put him in the prelims and give him a really tough matchup. Well, I feel like that's something we've always known about like fighters who are, you know, reaching towards the end of their contract. They, you know, usually don't get like a main event spot or anything like that, right? Um, but the pay thing and also the the option period, I don't know if you want to get into it, um, that they're putting in these contracts, it's, it's pretty kind of messed up. Um, kind of, no, pretty messed up. Yeah, it's, 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 we've always known Joe Silla to be this heartless, uh, this heartless individual when he's putting fights together. When he retired, some fighters had positive things to say with him, some fighters didn't have anything positive to say to him. But what's really caught me off guard, not caught me off guard, but was, it was, we'd always hear rumors about stuff that would go on, but like now that it's confirmed, it's a little more alarming. Where, like, say a fighter did have a fight contract coming up, I think it was like, uh, John Fitch brought it up, and like Andre Arlovsky had a similar situation. I think Roger Huerta, where like if they didn't resign, then they wouldn't get a fight contract, or they and they wouldn't get be able to get paid. Or I believe it was like Matt Weinman and um, Brian Caraway had like their fights were coming up, or no, they were hurt, and so they had like this thing where if you're injured, they can extend your contract for X amount of time. And there were like emails and text messages between like Caraway and Weinman and like UFC, and it's like I've only been injured for two months. Why am I being extended for so long? So it seems like yeah. not even the fighters know what's really going on. They're kind of getting off. It doesn't surprise me, like, you know, fighters being like, I think Matt Wyman wrote something like, can you explain this in more, yeah, like, yeah. like, easy terms? Because obviously the language is so heavy. Um, but, I mean, when you, like, I don't know, sign up to Facebook or to any application, do you read the terms and, right. and all that thing that's, like, pages and pages? Uh, I'm sure the UFC contracts are like that in a way where it's, you know, a very, a very big thing to, to go through, right? And a lot of these fighters don't have managers that, that do that. Um, or maybe they do and the managers themselves don't do it. But it, something that I thought it was very interesting was that, like the injury time. So the UFC's contracted to offer you three times per uh, three yeah. fights per year, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you're injured, they can freeze that. So, for example, if you're injured four months out of the year, then all of a sudden, you know, you're not going to get the three fights that were supposed to be offered uh, within the, you know, nine months that you have left while that gets pushed back, which I thought it was kind of, kind of messed up. Yeah. And it's, it's, uh, it's not like these are prelim fighters. Like these are big names we're hearing about. Like Roy Nelson was in and Roger Huerta was once like, he was on the cover of sports illustrated. Like these are like Nick Diaz. Like we're seeing it, he's not doing this to guys. He's not arms. He's not like muscling around these prelim fighters. He's doing it with like main eventers. Like Nick Diaz is a main event fighter. And it's, it now it, it, it kind of, it's not surprising that Nick Diaz isn't back yet because he just doesn't want yep. maybe he just doesn't want to deal with this situation or he doesn't want to get extended or maybe he can't who knows what the situation was but there's also things like Leota Machida had like a like a finish rate where like every finish he'd get he'd get like a hundred thousand dollars and I think so I doing the math he got like he got seven figures just from finish bonuses yeah. or something crazy like that so uh, there's a lot of I think Israel Adesanya said it perfectly when he 
first got into the UFC, it was like his third or fourth fight, is because he mm-hmm. he's he was obviously a fan, and he would hear about all these fighters. He'd see the disclosed pay, and he'd be like, "Oh, they should be making more." But he said himself, "Now that I'm in the UFC, you there's stuff you don't hear about. Like there's yeah. stuff, there's money that you don't hear about, and that was it was it wasn't alarming, wasn't good to hear, but it's like a big a, like a, a guy on the rise bringing this." to the forefront saying like, yeah, maybe I got a hundred thousand dollars. I should be getting more, but I definitely got more than a hundred thousand dollars. And then the pay-per-view scale was kind of pulled back. It shows Brock Lesnar making an insane amount of money to fight. Like yeah. no wonder he doesn't want to fight on ESPN plus. So it's, it's, uh, it's definitely one of the most, it's, it is the most informative read I've had into the inner workings of the UFC in a very long time. Yeah, for sure. And more stuff's going to come out of it because I believe the, oh, the yeah. documents, it was like, 225 pages or something like that and um you know the staff at bloody elbow that are going through this they haven't even read the whole thing uh you know because there's a lot to to go through and a lot of it is redacted too um so uh, you know in the next coming days weeks you know we're gonna learn a lot more yeah it makes you wonder what is gonna come out that the ufc and zufa had because like the ufc and zufa did not want this information to come out and now not only is it coming yeah. out it's coming out all at once uh, right around this ESPN deal, WME is going public and this and that. Yeah. So it's uh, it's going to be a very fascinating couple of months for the UFC. Uh, and Z- like Zufa doesn't even own the UFC anymore, and uh, and and its stuff is still coming out, coming out. It's also very interesting. Like there, like there's quotes from Joe Silva in this. And when's the last time you really heard Joe Silva mention anything about anything? So it's Never. just it's, I mean the, the man's always stayed away from the media for for a reason, right? Yeah, right. So it's. To read Joe Silva quotes directly from Joe Silva and him being so direct and so like ruthless with his negotiating yeah. tactics, where he's like, yeah, like the 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 thing where it's like they they could take a fight, like if they didn't ex- if they didn't accept a new contract, they'd fight for less money. Joe Silva's like, yeah, they just chose to fight for less money. What's the deal? And I was like, wow, like that's cold blooded, Joe yeah. Silva. But it is what it is. Some things I get it. It's business, you know, and and you kind of have to be a little bit yeah. heartless uh, in business, right? Um, and it's true, like you know, if I'm gonna, it's an incentive, right? If you're on your last fight, I want you to, you know, have a new contract. I can you offer you more money for that fight, so you can sign that contract, or you can just keep your old contract and and, and fight for, I guess, less money. Uh, so you know, I think it's a mixture of both. Some things uh, do cross, like I guess some. Um, maybe moral or ethical boundaries, but some others, I think it's just business. It's also, he's dealing with people who choose to fight inside of a cage for a That's living. True. So it's a it's a hyper-aggressive sport. You have to be hyper-aggressive when you're dealing with these individuals asking for more money to fight another human being. It's not like boxing, where it's all, all these different promotions. You're basically at the whim of the UFC. But moving yeah. on from our other good friend, Pizzi's favorite commenter, Life is Kicking My Butt. Stay strong, uh, he or she. I stay strong. List three fighters, UFC or non, that you think should retire from combat sports. Um, I hate. I personally hate telling people to retire. It stresses me out. I never want to tell someone that they shouldn't yeah, I'll go. I'll give you a freebie. Uh, BJ Penn. BJ Penn is a good one. Uh, I think Leonard Garcia, after his bare knuckle boxing fight this past mm-hmm. weekend, which you covered for our site, I think that's another one that yeah. comes to mind. Other than that, I really. Don't, I'm not a big fan of telling people to retire. Uh, wouldn't hate if Anderson Silva decided to hang it up, especially after that nasty knee injury. Like, what else does he have to prove outside of him, his just enjoyment yeah. of fighting? Um, 
Tito Ortiz has retired enough times, and I don't particularly care about him fighting Alberto Del Rio in Combate. I didn't even want to see him fight Chuck Liddell in the, in the Golden Boy MMA. So if Chuck Liddell is still fighting, please retire. Like, that's another one. So there's three. Chuck Liddell, BJ Penn, Leonard Garcia. I don't know if you have any other ones that come to mind. Yeah, I think BJ Penn is, is at the top of the list. I think if, um, if Tito were to retire, I mean, I feel like he's done so much and he's already gone so far into like retiring and coming back that if he retired i don't even think it's much of like uh because you know we media does get weird around you know saying like you know calling fighters to retire um i don't think that'd be a weird one i think even if you asked him he'd be like yeah you know possibly like i, I talked to him and, and he knows that like the end is near you know so um who else um that's, that's about it as i would as, like to say as, i would like to see chael Sonnen stay retired so I don't want him to come back yeah. because I think when a fighter, like, I do agree when a fighter's out the door, like, that's, like, retire. Like, I don't, I selfishly want to see a third John Jones-Daniel Cormier fight. But if Daniel Cormier decides to hang it up, like, say he beats Stipe Miocic or even win or lose, he, after his Stipe Miocic fight and he decides, like, hey, like, enough is enough. I'm 40. I have kids. I want to coach wrestling. I've made enough money. I have all these I'm, he's one of the most talented fighters outside of fighting. I, he doesn't have to take brain damage to make a living. Like if he wants to ride off in the sunset, by all means, Daniel Cormier retire. I think he's, yeah. he. Does, what does he have to prove? So if Daniel Cormier decides to retire, I wouldn't have an issue with that either. I wouldn't have an issue with it. Part of me feels like he has so much left in the That's tank. That's right. Selfishly, I, I, would, I want like, him to stick around. I don't know. You're, you still got it, Daniel. Selfishly, so, I want yeah. him to stick around, but I get it. Maybe Fedor. I mean, who, who wants to watch Fedor fight these? Heavyweights getting knocked out again. Well, he is on a retirement tour in Bellator, right? That got announced uh, earlier this year. So I'm, I like, I like that. I like when, I don't like when you know fighters are getting knocked out and we don't know when the end is coming. That's we go, true. geez, like how long is this is gonna go on, right? But with Fedor, it's like, all right, well, there, this is an actual thing, a retirement tour. If we know, you know, there's a finish line to this, all right, you know, go, go for it, you know, carry on. Now you don't really follow American sports, right? Uh, no, I don't. Right, I so, watch uh, the real football over in. Uh, yeah, so I don't know. US, but I don't know, know, know how they do it in the real football, but in America, in like American sports, a lot of players like Derek Jeter did it, David Ortiz did it, like Kobe Bryant did it, where they'll announce like this is my last season. I'm retiring yeah. at the end of the season. D Wade did it, right? Dwayne Wade did it, yes, yeah. and uh, it's very much like every stop he goes, there's like this big like if it's the last time he's playing somewhere, it's this big ceremony. Like, they give him jerseys, and they have, like, Sarah, like, and yeah. a lot of players, like, David Ortiz said it, I think Derek Jeter said it, where he's like, I wish I didn't announce this, because it's exhausting, it's mentally exhausting having to, like, these ceremonies and saying bye to, like, every press conference, like, what's yeah. your memories of, of this, what's your memories of this, what are you going to do this, but then you have guys like Tim Duncan, who, the season's over, he goes, ah, I think I'm going to hang it up, and that was a wrap, he didn't have the ceremony, so I don't know how it is in soccer, but... I can't imagine Fedor is going to enjoy getting all like, what's your favorite memory of fighting in San Jose for the last time? What's your favorite memory of fighting in like Inglewood for the last time? So yeah, we'll see if that's, if that's, that's the only retirement tours I am accustomed to. I've never, we've never really seen a retirement tour in MMA before. Yeah, I know it's it's a rare thing. And uh, you know, whenever it's, it's mostly because they announce they retire and then they come back. Right. Right. Um, but uh, you know, I think the Fedor one is legit. I don't know. Fedor doesn't strike yeah, me like But he's pet. retired before. He, he did, did he retire? Yeah, did he, he took just... a few years off and then came okay. back and fought at Ryzen, correct? Yeah, that's right. And then there was the negotiations with the UFC and everything. Yeah. So he's retired and come back before. Like, what's to stop him from doing it again? 
That's true. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I don't know how to answer that one, but yeah. Maybe George St. Pierre could stay retired too. I mean, if anyone can come out of retirement, George can come out of retirement, but he said yeah. that he's fine with not fighting ever again. He's out of the USADA testing pool. So if George St. Pierre is like, nah, I'm good, guys, like, have fun in retirement, George. Unless yeah, he wants sure. to fight Habib, then inject that right into my veins. <laughs> also, his, his legacy is like so up there. I mean, I, I consider him the greatest ever. Same. That like, you know, a loss, a loss would hurt him, right? So it's like, why take the gamble? I mean, you literally had the perfect exit, you know, double champ, you know, a, a long reign in the welterweight division. Uh, you beat all kinds of generations. You know, you, you, you fought through generations. Stay retired. I agree Not 100% that his legacy is good, but if he comes out of retirement and gets these big money legacy fights, I think he beats most of the guys. It's not like he's... When, like when Fedor came out of retirement... I mean, the fight would be Khabib, right? You think he beats Khabib? I do. He you would, really do. He would be a massive lightweight if they fought a lightweight. Because like Khabib... I, I, are, I'm skeptical about him making 155. So am I. But, yeah. I, but first, like again, like it would be dangerous for him to try to make 155. But if he does it right and he makes it, I think he would be a absolutely humongous lightweight. I think he would be. I think he would beat Habib. I do. Uh, I think. But again, I think George is the greatest fighter ever. We agree on that. I think every co-host we've ever had on the A side agrees George St. Pierre is probably yeah. the greatest. We're and, all somewhat sane, so yeah. And I know our commenters absolutely love when we talk about the greatest of all time. Uh, it seems like every single time the comment section is like, enough with this, enough with this. Yeah, we get George yeah. is great. But we're get, so we're going to move on from Josh, Josh O. Ah, okay. Uh, the welterweight title picture. Do you think if Nate Diaz absolutely dominates Pettis, I'll buy a tall order, that he would jump in front of the contenders queue for the winner of Covington versus Usman? It really seems like Mazdal versus Edwards is looking likely to happen. And though the, although the winner of that fight would deserve a shot on merit alone, we have seen... We have seen what one Nate Diaz fight and a callout can do regarding Conor McGregor. Thoroughly enjoying the A side as always. Keep up the good work, Jose and Co. So, Danny, uh, Nate Diaz goes out there and manhandles Anthony Pettis. Does he jump the queue for the title picture? I'll say no because I don't know if you watched that interview with Brett Okamoto on ESPN. Nate Diaz said, "Like I don't want to fight no Usman. Like he's not really interested in that. He wants the big money fights. I know he wants the third Conor fight. Like who wouldn't want the third Conor fight?" I'm sure there's other fights that he wants in general, like Ty, no time. He, he said he'd fight Tyron Woodley. He just wants to get paid his worth. So he's proven that he would choose the money over the title, which is great. Like, at the end of the day, you're a prize fighter. Like, yeah, having the belt comes with more responsibilities. And like, imagine Nate Diaz with a championship belt, all like the media ob obligations he'd have to do, all the press that conferences. sounds like a nightmare for him. It sounds like a nightmare for the UFC PR, like having to wrangle him That's around, like, Nate Diaz doing a Q and A before like a weigh-in, so I I bet I can't imagine the UFC would want him to fight for the title, let just because like say he does win, like they're gonna have to deal with like wrangling Nate Diaz around. It's it's difficult enough of the 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 bad blood between those two where he right. basically said the UFC wanted him to vanish. So I don't think he skips the Q. I think Colby Usman is the fight to make, and I think there's other big money fights at welterweight or lightweight for Nate Diaz because that like Anthony Pettis is he ranked at welterweight I'm not even 100 I think so yeah, yeah just because he knocked out Wonderboy he was so high yeah. so but Anthony Pettis is also a lightweight Anthony Pettis said the only reason he went up to welterweight is for these these big money fights so I personally don't think he jumps the queue uh but what about you yeah no I, I agree with you I don't think so the UFC and Dana White a long time ago they they stopped doubling down they stopped you know, labeling fights number one contender about to stop saying, you know, this guy's next in line. 
they don't do that often. Nope. And they did that recently with Colby, uh, at least Dana. So that already si- signals, you know, a direction they, they want to go with. Plus, there's already a built-in rivalry. Um, Colby, say what you want about him, but the guy shows up to fight. And, he and does. He, he's looking to stay active, right? Whereas Diaz, I mean, he just proved. I mean, this fight is a perfect example. He has no problem sitting down, waiting a year, waiting how, you know, not even fighting. If, if he never fights again, he doesn't have an issue with that. And a champion with a belt, you know, that needs to be defended. Uh, so, yeah, I don't, I don't think Nate Diaz wants, wants that. Uh, and I don't think the UFC wants that as well. It's just not, not a good fit. Nate Diaz right now is in the money weight division. Yeah, and I yeah. think that's where he's going to stay. He's going to fight the Connors. He's going to fight the fights that interest him, the, the fights that are exciting for the fans, exciting for him. He doesn't want to fight any wrestler. Um, the, Diaz, the Diaz hate on wrestling. Like, oh yeah, they just they hate on it in, in a way that they don't feel like it's a it's a form of fighting. Like if you wrestle them, you're you're not engaging in a fight for some reason. Right. And um, I, I get it, I get what they're coming from. I don't agree with it. Um, but yeah, I just don't see them wanting to fight a guy like what it's it's going to be either Usman or Kamaru, both fantastic wrestlers. So I I don't think he he wants that. And historically, he's done poor, poorly against the wrestlers. I, Rory, Benson Henderson, you name it. I think the only way he gets he fight for the title anytime soon if it's one of those last minute like ch- someone falls out and they need a big money main event yeah. like when Daniel Cormier fought Derek Lewis that was a very last minute main event because they desperately yeah. want they probably just handed them both like hey man like last resort just give these two guys seven figures to headline an MSG card might not be the best fight we need a heavyweight title fight for MSG uh, if Habib beats Dustin Poirier though there's a built in rivalry right there with Nate and Habib. And if Nate loses at to to Anthony Pettis, that's a welterweight. And the U say Habib wins, beats Justin Poirier, gets on the mic. And to, I'm gonna preface this that the winner of that fight should fight Tony Ferguson. Like, there's no way Tony Ferguson should not get the yeah. next shot of lightweight. But if Habib gets on the mic and is like, I want to fight Nate Diaz, and Nate Diaz is like, All right, let's do this, and he already has that built-in rivalry. Like, would you not want to watch he, Habib? He already versus... slapped uh, Habib, right, according to him. That's according cool. to him, and Nate Diaz said he already pieced up his whole team. Nate Diaz yeah. got removed from the arena at UFC 239 because he, he walked past Habib and his team, and they were drawing back and forth. So that's a rivalry right there. So I think yeah. if Nate is going to get a title shot, it's not going to be based on merit. It's going to be based on uh, either a last-minute desperation that they're going to need a title fight or a built-in rivalry with Habib. Right. Yeah. I mean, and again, that'd be a, a money weight fight. It was just the belt at that point is just a prop to make the fight even bigger. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I wouldn't really call that a, well, ch- technically what a championship fight is, is we're finding out who the best person is in the division. I don't think that fight answers that question. So I don't really think it'd be a legitimate title fight. Um, Tony Ferguson would, would answer that question. It right? sounds I mean, exactly what happened. Or you answer that question. It sounds exactly what happened when George fought Nick. Nick was coming off a loss to Carlos Condit, right. sat out for a long time, and then when he he came back to fight George because George is like I'm fighting Nick Diaz, like and that then to, to George's credit, he fought yeah. Carlos Condit first when he came back from injury because Carlos Condit was the interim champion, and then once they figured that out, they fight he fought Nick. That's what's happening right now. Habib's fighting Dustin Poirier for the because to unify the belts, and then say he wants to fight Nick Diaz, Tony Ferguson say he gets hurt again because. Tony Ferguson has been hurt once or twice in his career. Why wouldn't you want him to fight Nick Diaz? And then say Nick Diaz wins the lightweight title trilogy with Connor for the belt. Like how how it doesn't get bigger than that. But this is all hypothetical, yeah. and I don't think much of this is going to happen. Sounds like a lot of headaches. It sounds like a lot of headaches that I bet the UFC doesn't want, but it's going to lead to a lot of 
it's going to lead to a lot of money, and I know that's what the UFC wants. But moving on from our longtime commenter, Lodovic, UFC Uruguay Aftermath. Hello there. The card this past weekend was not the deepest, but there were a few things worth discussing, in my opinion. My personal favorite was the very methodical performance in Vulcan Ozmir. Besides that, what fight or fighter caught your attention? Can Rodolfo Vieira become a serious contender? What about Vicente Luque? What went wrong in the main event? And how to make sure that never happens again. Thanks a lot. Now, what went, what went wrong? I don't really like the phrasing of that because, I mean, Valentina defended her belt successfully, very dominantly. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't the most exciting fight, but there's no argument that she won, like, every second of that fight. I mean, I, it's, it's very clear that the last thing in their minds is her decapitating Jessica I, and they were expecting that again, and it just didn't work out. So I don't think anything went wrong. But you were watching bare knuckle boxing while this UFC Uruguay thing was going on. I don't know if you got to catch up on it, but what were your thoughts from the car as a whole? Did any anyone's performance really stand out to you? I liked it. Yeah, uh, Valentina's performance actually stood out for me, and, and I watched it. Uh, you know, the morning after. Right. Um, and she got a lot of hate, but at the same time, it was a perfect performance. Right. It was fifty forty five on all scorecards, and uh, you know that's that's her job to defend the belt, and that's what she did. She was fighting an opponent in this Carmouche that wasn't engaging a whole lot. And, uh, you know, there's only so much you can do, right? And she's also not going to overextend herself and, and do silly mistakes just to create excitement. So um, so I, I, I didn't – I would be lying if I said I enjoyed that fight, but I didn't, I wasn't – maybe it's because I didn't watch it live. And, sure. at, you know, that late at night I was watching Bare Knuckle. But, you know, I wasn't too bothered by it. I'm like, all right, I've seen worse fights. <laughs> it's, it's, not, it's not too bad. Um, what other performances there stood out for me? I mean – Vulcan Ozemir was super impressive. You know, he was on a three-fight losing streak entering into mm-hmm. that, and Yuri Latif was a tough dude. And uh, to put him away the way he did, that was that was pretty pretty impressive. Um, who else? I don't know. Anyone else that comes to mind? Uh, Vicente Luque, obviously, his fight with Mike oh, Perry, yeah, where Mike Perry's yeah. face exploded, uh, and he was but, like leaking yeah. blood. Uh, how did you score that fight? A lot of people think Mike Perry won. That was a tough one. I, I had a first round for Perry. I thought second round could have gone either way, and I thought uh, Luque won the last round. Um, I, I, I had Perry winning, to be honest. Um, but there, but again, if you scored it for Luque, I, I, you know I, I see the case, so I don't I don't have any complaints. Um, but it was a close fight, and I was super impressed by Perry. I think a lot is being made out of his face and his nose for obvious reasons. Right. But I don't think people are really talking about his performance. That was a very measured. Mike Perry, he was jabbing, which is something he usually doesn't do a whole lot. You know, he was picking his shots. He was engaging and, and, and not engaging at certain points, which is something he's had, you know, issue with. Is usually, you know, full throttle. Um, dude, Mike Perry is evolving. Yeah, he took a loss, but he is getting better as a fighter. Yeah, and, I mean, uh, I, that's what you want to see from, from a young, exciting prospect. I know everyone's going to they love when I hear talk. Like, I know when Mike Perry's fighting because my mentions just blow up. Um, but Mike Perry himself said, like, he his time with Jackson's really changed him. He re- he's really trying to be a methodical fighter and not just go out there and clang and bang. And it's a dangerous it's a dangerous fight. And uh, yeah. I thought Vicente Luque won solely on, yeah, Mike Perry might have thrown more. But I think, my, I think an overlooked thing is Vicente Luque's striking defense in that was pretty on point. Like, he, he dodged a lot. He blocked a lot. Like, yeah, he was getting hit, but he had good head movement. I think he landed... The, he, I mean, I don't think he definitely landed the more significant strikes. Like that, like that flying knee that broke Mike Perry's face. Like those, maybe didn't throw as much, but his punches did more damage throughout the fight. I mean, he went to the press conference. He was, he was like kind of bruised up, but he wasn't 
bloody and falling apart and everything. Uh, so I had Vincente Luque winning, but I don't think it was a robbery by any means. It, if, if Mike Perry had won, I don't think it would have been a robbery. Uh, but it's it goes... <laughs> I think it's that fight was also so good and like that fight was so fun to watch that it really it was um, detrimental to to Valentina's performance because I remember I interviewed Daniel Cormier once and he it, I think it was when he was getting ready to fight Dan Henderson uh, his first light heavyweight and he was like it's very annoying that like he fought Frank when he fought Frank Mir it was very soon it was like a thirty twenty seven but it was just like a dominant like. Just yeah. out wrestled him. The fight, the That's two his fights. Debut, right? yeah. That was his debut on that UFC on Fox mm-hmm. Seven card. The first fight of that pay per view was Matt Brown just destroying Jordan Mean, followed by Josh Thompson head kicking Nate Diaz, and then you have a wrestling match, and then you have Gilbert Melendez versus Benson Henderson. So everyone yeah. just thinks that Daniel Cormier was a boring fighter, but he just got sandwiched in this chaos. And then his like, I think it was his next fight, maybe one or two after is when he fought Roy Nelson. And it was like Diego Sanchez versus Gilbert Melendez, which is one of the greatest fights ever. And then DC Roy Nelson, which is 30, 27. And then Cain Velasquez destruction of his trilogy with junior Joe Santos. So it's like, he's constantly being surrounded by these epic performances and he just dominates. It just makes him look boring. And I think that the yeah. Luke Perry fight was detrimental to Valentina's yeah, that, performance. That definitely doesn't help. I mean, imagine if Nganu and, Derek was where the co-main event for that bout. I mean, we'd all be cheering for Valentina and and uh, Liz Carmouche. So, yeah, that definitely doesn't help. It's a tough act to follow, man. I mean, it, it, another one was, I think, USA 218 in Detroit had, like, Eddie Alvarez versus Gaethje. Uh, that had Nganu versus Overeem. That had Max Holloway versus Aldo. But do you know who else won on that main card? Henry no. Cejudo. Okay. Because yeah. no one remembers. Because it was again. He. I think it. Would, he, I, it might have been Sergio Pettis. I can't remember. I can't even remember who he fought. But it yeah, was yeah. like a dominant thirty twenty seven wrestling. And I think it was after Gaethje Alvarez, which is one of the best fights of that year too. So it's just yeah. like man, like no one appreciates just dominant performances that they just pitch a perfect game. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and for me, the the Liz Carmouche uh, like Valentino fight like. It wasn't boring as in as in it was it was boring, but it wasn't like the two fighters were just standing there looking at each other, kind of like yeah. much like the Derek Lewis and Ganu. Like there was definitely like they were trying to figure each other out. Yeah, and and that to me kind of kept me kept my my focus on the fight. Like Liz Carmouche, you know, at some point I think after entering the fourth, like she started you know shooting and and there was definitely even pulling guard. Like she was trying things, you know. Um, it wasn't a whole lot, but she was doing things. So. It was a violent, violent chess match. But we're going to all hop over to Twitter, too, guys. You can always use hashtag the A side. Um, we still got a lot of questions in the comment section, but all back and forth. We've seen a lot of uh, lot of questions on DC Stipe, which we'll save till the end. All right, well, then we'll do, we'll do Stipe Hate from our friend Ted Bear. Stipe has received a bad rap lately due, due to his refusal to take another fight before rematching Daniel Cormier. Is this Stipe Hate warranted, and do you think... Everyone forgets about. Do you think everyone forgets about it if he wins? So yes, Daniel Cormier himself said he was a little agitated that Stipe Miocic didn't take another fight between this fight, their last fight in the rematch. Daniel Cormier obviously fought Derek Lewis at UFC 230 a few months after he beat Stipe Miocic. What are your thoughts? Should Stipe Miocic have taken another fight? Do you get where Daniel Cormier is coming from? Do you understand the quote-unquote hate? Because I personally don't. I don't think he's not a hateable guy in my opinion. But what what do you make of what do you make of Stipe's? Uh, getting this immediate rematch after sitting out for more than a year. I would have liked to see him get another fight uh, just because, you know, Steep is a good fighter. Uh, he has great knockouts. He puts on exciting fights. So out of just being a fan, I would have liked to see him uh, have some level of activity. But, you know, at the end of the day, 
he did the right choice because yeah. he is getting the title shot, right? A hundred percent. He decided not to take the gamble like other fighters have. You know, Tyron Woodley did the same thing. A bunch of fighters have, have done the same thing. And, and you know, he got the shot, and that's what matters, right? The whole goal is the whole goal was for him to fight for the belt again, and that's what he got. So he clearly made the right decision. Now, maybe maybe he would have fought and gotten a nice knockout and built more hype for the fight and still would have gotten, you know, the title shot. Uh, or maybe he would have lost. I mean, in the heavyweight division, when you roll the dice, it's it's a lot. There's a lot more. The room for error is the same as, as any other fights, but the consequences are way more bigger than, say, like at bantamweight or anywhere else. So um, I, I get where he's coming from. Um, you know, it's again, it's not a fan friendly choice because he set out and honestly like you oh, one of the reasons why you want to see him take other fights is because you want to believe that he has something else that he can bring into the rematch that will change the outcome and that creates excite excitement right if you see him against somebody else and all of a sudden you know, he's looking lighter or he's got a new weapon all of a sudden you know your imagination starts going but the, the last memory we have of him was getting knocked out in the first round and yet again he's fighting the same dude and nothing has changed since so the buildup is going to be a little bit of a dud. Hopefully the, the fight is exciting, but you know, I, I don't, I don't, I don't agree with the hate, but I know where it comes from. Also, let's face it. Steve is not like the most exciting guy to talk to. Um, He's not as far as like being on the media and, and stuff like that. So like on top of all of that, you know, fans don't really, I feel like connect with them as much because of that. They connect with guys like Perry and, and others that are more charismatic. But when you're out there, you know, not really putting effort into interviews or, or, you know, just not really caring about that aspect. Uh, you know, I think there's some backlash from the fans. So I get where it's coming from. I don't share it. But, um, hey, he got the title shot. So ultimately, he made the right decision, right? Yeah, I mean, it's very clear he made the right choice because he got the title yeah. fight. And I'm also on board where I think Jose Aldo should have gotten the immediate rematch against Conor McGregor. I mm -hmm. think if you hold the record and you're considered one of, if not the greatest fighters in your in your division's history, you should get the immediate rematch. Happened to Anderson Silva. Anderson Silva lost to Chris Weidman, and he got the rematch a few months later. Didn't work out for him, but he still got it. Ronda Rousey came back after a year. Didn't rematch Holly Holm, but got this immediate shot at Bantamweight, and I think both of them deserved it just based on what they did for that division as a whole. T.P. Miocic had the record for most title defenses. I think if, he should, if there was a fight for him to take, I think it should have been Kane versus Stipe on the first UFC on ESPN card because a lot of people consider those two the greatest yeah, fighters. Would, the greatest. Think, yeah. I think a lot of people consider those two the greatest heavyweights in UFC history. I think that would have maybe not settled it, but it, it, like if Stipe had done what Francis Ngannou did to Kane, there's no yeah. question, and vice versa. I would have liked to see that, but Stipe Miocic also is a new dad. He had his daughter like a few weeks after he lost to Daniel Cormier, and he got to be a dad for a year. He got to see his daughter's first year of life and now he's fighting for a title. So maybe I'm sure that took into consideration. Like, I mean, I don't have to fight for If I'm not fighting Daniel Cormier, I'm not fighting anyone. I want to spend time with my daughter. I definitely don't fault him for wanting to be a dad. Uh, he made enough money. I know he had some issues with, I think it was when he fought Overeem. He's, Overeem made more money than him, even though Stipe was the champion. So that clearly rubbed Overeem him the wrong way. Overeem tapped him, so, you know. That's very true, right? Uh, he tapped him and then got knocked out. Uh, so maybe he... Didn't want to go back to fighting for a non-champion salary, especially with a new daughter, because considering he wanted that immediate rematch. But again, I can't say it enough. He did the right thing. He got the title fight. I think Daniel Cormier saying, if I don't get Brock Lesnar, I'll rematch Stipe Miocic, which definitely gave, definitely gave Stipe Miocic like, more room to wiggle, where like he goes, well, look what Daniel Cormier said. 
Like Daniel Cormier says, it's going to happen. And then as soon as Brock Lesnar retired, how long did that fight announcement come out when they announced Brock Lesnar retired? Seconds? Uh, seconds. Yeah, it was, it, was, it was fairly quick. Brock Lesnar retires, and then within seconds, Daniel Cormier is rematched with Stipe Miocic. So we clearly see what was at play here. I don't agree yeah. with the hate. I get it. I just, I, like you, I, was just, I just want to see a fight. I don't care who it's against. Right, yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think that's where most fans land. Like, and, he, and Cormier has brought the same thing up. Like, bro, I'm the champion, and I've fought. I've fought more than you have since our rematch. It's only one fight, but still, you know, he's the champion. Should be the other way around. Agreed. And uh, there are questions. I think there are questions surrounding their first fight. I mean, I don't know if there was. I can't remember who it was, but someone on uh, our MMA did a Reddit did like this breakdown of every single eye poke in that fight, or every time Daniel Cormier got his fingers in Stipe's eyes. Now, to to his credit, Stipe has never brought up the eye pokes as a, as like the reason yep. he really lost. He doesn't even want to talk about it. Our, our own uh, Damon Martin uh, talked to Stipe for 13 minutes. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> Um, and he asked him that. He's like, "Oh, what about the eye, uh, what about the eye pokes?" And he's like, "Next question. What about the eye pokes? Next question." And he just kept saying, "Next question." Um, I th- I feel like there's something there, because he clearly didn't want to address it. He he could have just been like, uh, you know, no, they didn't take uh, any toll on me, and then that'd be that. But the fact that you don't want to talk about it, that means it doesn't necessarily mean, but it could mean that. You have certain thoughts that you don't want to share, and you know Steve is not that guy to complain about. This. Absolutely, like he is <laughs> not that guy. So, I, but there are, again, like a no comment is an answer that raises exactly. more questions. Yeah. So uh, there are definitely questions going into this fight. Steve Miocic, uh, again, how many? I can't off the top of my head. The only one I can remember him ever rematching was Junior Dos Santos, and he lost yeah. to Junior. I was at that fight. I actually thought he won that fight. That fight was pretty epic. It was very violent. And then when they rematched, and when they rematched, Stipe destroyed it in one yeah. round. So Stipe Miocic is obviously a better fighter in the rematches. Daniel Cormier historically hasn't looked that great rematching guys. Like he rematched, you know, who's the only person to rematch? John Jones, right? John Jones. Yeah. And what happened? Yeah, that's not fair because John Jones is the greatest. Too. Exactly. Well, he's fighting the greatest heavyweight. Uh, that I have an issue with. That's fair. Three three title defenses, yes, it's the longest in heavyweight, but it's still a three, man. I also for me, think... For me, go ahead. the other immediate rematches for me make most, most sense. For example, like, and I, and I tie this up, like, when somebody becomes a face of a division is usually because of the length of their title defenses. Say, like, you know, you can't mention strawweight and not think about you and Jaychik. You mm-hmm. cannot mention, you know, women's bantamweight, you know, bantamweight and, and think about Ronda, not think about Ronda Rossi, et cetera, right? Like, whereas I mentioned lightweight, you necessarily don't think about Anthony Pettis. You'll probably think about BJ Penn, yeah. um, you know, Habib, right? Um, you know, Connor just for, you know, just because of Cause the magnitude Connor. of who he is, but not because of the title defenses. I don't get the same sense with Stipe. I still think of Cain Velasquez when I think of heavyweight. Um, I don't think he established a long enough thing to, to, to merit an immediate rematch. But heck, you know, he made a good point. Cody Garbrandt got an immediate rematch and he never defended anything. So, uh I guess anything goes. I don't know. And I think, and it's like, who did Stipe beat? Knocks out Verdum, knocks out Overeem, knocks out Junior. Like yeah. three of the five greatest heavyweights of all time. And then not only does he survive a first round against Francis Ngannou, he pretty much exposes who many were considering the greatest heavyweight at the yeah. time. And yeah, he's not the most, he's not the most charismatic individual, but he's doing his job and that's winning. Um, but I also, I'll, I'll backtrack on myself a little bit where when I said like when DC doesn't also historically look great in rematches, I think the best fighter 
outside of John Jones is John Jones rematching people. I mean, you saw what happened when he rematched Alexander he Gustafson. Just straight rematches, yeah. When he rematched Gustafson, was not anywhere close to being close. He ran through him. Rematched Daniel Cormier, ran through him again with that head kick. So the bet, the bet, the only fighter better than John Jones is John Jones in rematches. So maybe I agree that might not be a little fair to to kind of paint that to paint that. But anyway, moving on from uh, unless you had something else to say on the the Stipe rematch train. So uh, D, another question from Clev. That's Clev. Clev twenty one DC. Should DC win? What's next? And what chances do you think Jones three is next? And even though DC keeps talking about his, this two oh five nonsense. And I'm doing air coach for those listening because I get a lot of hate for reading things verbatim and they think I'm kind of throwing on 205 nonsense in quotes. It's got to be at heavyweight, doesn't it? And if so, what's the likelihood the UFC can convince Jones and DC of this? So, yes, John Jones went on Twitter saying there will be no third fight. Daniel Cormier made an excellent point, I think. I think he had the perfect response where love it or hate it, we're going to make the most money against each other. And I know yeah. we're prize fighters. And John Jones, I know... Says there's not going to be a fight, but he knows the money fight for him is a third Daniel Cormier fight. And Daniel Cormier was very calm when he said that. He goes, I don't have to fight John, but if we want to make the most money possible, it's me. now that Unless Brock Lesnar comes out of retirement. But yeah. Daniel Cormier also says it has to be 205. He says that he wants to, to right the ship. And that's where the, I don't personally want to see him cut to 205 ever mm-hmm. again. But I, I selfishly would love to see a third fight at heavyweight simply because I don't want to see DC cut down to a five. And I'm curious how John would look out in a heavy, as a heavyweight. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the fight to make or at the weight class to, to, to do it at. Um, you know, they've already fought twice at 205 and we saw how that went. Look, if, 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 if the UFC were to roll out, say, like in a few months, he beats Stipe and all of a sudden is, you know, DC, John Jones 3 at light heavyweight, I'd still be stoked. Don't get me wrong. So be pretty excited. I'm down for the buildup. I'm down to watch the actual fight. I think it'd be competitive, uh, like always. Um, but I think heavyweight adds an interesting element. I think most people agree that you know heavyweight Cormier is probably the best Cormier. Uh, I mean, just the power that he has there, you know. And also, we saw when remember John Jones went through like a bodybuilding phase when like he was out for uh, you know serving yeah. suspension and he was right. just getting jacked up. Um, and then he fought uh, OSP, right? And all of a sudden, he looks a little slow. It could have been the ring rust. It could have been the extra pounds. Cormier actually said, you know, be careful when working out and getting bigger. He actually told him that at some point. But, um, yeah, I'd be curious to see how John Jones looks at, you know, just with some extra pounds. You know, maybe, I don't know, maybe let's say 205 wasn't 205 and it was like, I don't know, 215 or something like that. Maybe Cormier is actually a better fighter. I don't know. And that's what I want to figure it out. Uh, figure out. So, I think it's it's the fight to make. Plus, imagine John Jones with with, with with a belt, right? DC wouldn't really be a challenger. He'd be the champion, and that changes the dynamic a little bit. Uh, yeah, I think heavyweight's where it's at, man, for sure. I agree, um, but I also think John is smart where he wants to fight. He's kind of – I think he's baiting DC a little bit to come down to 205 because it's – I think is, even Israel Adesanya weighed in where he's like – it's weird. John Jones' answer is very odd saying he won't jump up to heavyweight to fight Daniel Cormier, but he's trying to get me to jump up to fight him at light heavyweight. Yeah. And I had not thought about that until Israel Adesanya said it. And it's, well, I, yeah, I think Jones understands like yeah. two five is, is his thing. You know? Yeah, he's the greatest. He's the two most talented fighter I've ever seen inside of an octagon. Uh, he's there's no question he's the greatest light heavyweight of all time. I think I put him right behind George St. Pierre as the greatest fighter. Period. If he goes out there and beats, and he's very much into his legacy. 
he told uh, Sean Alshadi, yeah. our co-worker at USC 235, that his goal is to go, I think, 4-0, 5-0 in 2019. And that will, in his mind, cement himself as the greatest fighter ever or most dominant. If he goes out there and beats Daniel Cormier at heavyweight, because let's not forget, Daniel Cormier is undefeated at heavyweight. He yes. beats Daniel Cormier at heavyweight. He's the greatest fighter, period. And I think that yeah. that would mean something to him. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that too. But I, I think the weight also... I think I think he knows he understands that DC is is very legit and he doesn't want to give him you know that many edges uh, as far as as far as the competition goes. But I, I I don't know if you agree with me on this, but I think Daniel has has the upper hand here um, because if if you he did an interview with Ariel and um, he was saying he's like I don't have to fight John Jones. John Jones has to fight me if he wants to make money if he, if he wants to make money. Right. Like I'm good. Like there's still a lot of big interesting fights at heavyweight for him. Like, would you be down to see DC and Ganu? Dude, hell yeah, sign me up. Like, there, there are several contenders that I'm like, yeah, this would be a big fight that people would be intrigued. Whereas John Jones, and this is, I'm not trying to disrespect anybody here, but would you be excited for a John Jones, Corey Anderson, you know, uh, and, and, you know, all those type of contenders? Maybe Johnny Walker would, would cause some interest, especially if he, he gets, he's booked to fight, right? Uh, uh, Corey Anderson, yep. actually, right? I, yeah, I assume he, the winner would get John Jones. Yeah, I think so. But even then, it, it still doesn't have like the same pop as like DC and some other matchups. So uh, I think I think John Jones' most exciting fight is Cormier, but Cormier's most exciting fight is not. It's it's also John Jones, but he also has other options as well. I agree, and we're gonna use this question to transition to the next question on Twitter from our friend K. Matimuto, I'm sorry if I mispronounced your name, but France and Ghana, what's next for him? Clearly, he needs to fight. He needs Stipe to win, as DC publicly said he won't fight him. Although they have a great storyline after after Francis KO'd Kane. I agree. I would. You said it yeah. just a few seconds ago. I'm. <clears throat> I would be all in on Francis DC. I just want to see that fight. But if DC said he doesn't need to, if DC says he doesn't need to fight John Jones, you think he's going to come back to fight Francis and Ghana? Like, there's no possible way. Uh, so I, I. But again, if Stipe wins. Why would they not do the trilogy with Stipe? Like another heavyweight trilogy. And if that does happen, yeah. what do you do with Francis Ngannou? I mean, you look at the heavyweight rankings like Stipe. In this scenario, we're talking trilogy with DC. Not going to fight Stipe at DC for a while. Already beat Junior Dos Santos. Already beat Curtis Blades. You want to do the Derek Lewis fight again? Because Derek Lewis is already booked against Blagoy Ivanov. Like, you want to do that again? Alexander Volkov is still out there. You already beat Kim Velasquez. And then... Shamil Abdurahimov, I'm really bad with pronunciations, is the ninth-ranked fighter, maybe the winner. If Walt Harris beats Alistair Overeem, that's still out there. But like, what do you do with Francis Ngannou? He's already beaten everyone pretty much in the top five. Or yeah. he does have the loss to Derek Lewis, but Derek Lewis is already booked. Uh, what do you do with Francis? If, if he, again, we talked about Stipe sat out for a year. Does Francis Ngannou sit out for a year again? I, I rather, I'm not a big fan of <laughs> You know, sitting out, especially like in Ganu, I'm I'm done watching Ganu knock out some people, um, as evil as that sounds. But yeah, he's in a tough spot because I think if so, if Stipe wins, all right, trilogy, as you mentioned, and if DC wins, he's not gonna fight him. So like, what do you do? Um, I think the best. I think what Ngannou should hope for is that DC wins and then goes down to 205 and vacates. Vacates, yeah, that, that could be an option. Or, you know, fighters change their mind, right? If there's enough hype and, and all of a sudden we start exactly, we start seeing that this could potentially be, be a big fight and the UFC acknowledges that, you know, I'm, Daniel wants to make more money. So, uh, you know, he and he's fought scary strikers before. I mean, Rumble is, is 
he's a frightening dude. So, um, you know, he's not scared of taking on those type of challenges. So uh, I think that'd be his best bet. Just DC wins and hopefully that, you know, he, he causes enough traction. You know, at one point people, dude, at one point people wanted, wanted to see DC Ryan Bader. And That's that was true. because of, remember they had a little back and forth. Oh, You're telling I was me Ngannou can't do something better? Uh, and no offense to Ryan Bader, but just given the fact of, of Ngannou's tool set versus Ryan Bader's, I think Ngannou has the potential to, to cause some traction and then call for that fight and then maybe change uh, you know, DC's mind. And he has changed his mind. He was supposed to retire earlier this year and he's yeah. still fighting. So it, there's that. It's very true. I think, I well, I agree with you that the money will talk. I think the best thing for Francis is DC wins, decides he wants to fight John Jones at 205, or say he doesn't want to fight ever again anyway, and retires, and then you do uh, Francis Stipe two for the vacant belt. I think that would be, I think that would be another logical situation because I talked to him on you the. Even right. if Stipe loses, like yeah. if Stipe loses, yeah. If Stipe loses, who gets the neck? Who would get the? Who else besides those two would deserve? I don't know. Anyone not on a two-fight skid? It's know. true. It is very true. But again, I think if DC beats Stipe again, he could be the greatest fighter heavyweight ever. I think it also depends on how he wins. So yeah. Stipe... I, I would have to look carefully at the rankings and see who's kind of on a, on a little streak. Um, but from the top... Uh, Derek, did Derek Lewis... What, what is... I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't hate uh, Derek Lewis in Ghana too. He's booked to fight Blagoy Ivanov, I think, on the okay, MSG say, card. Okay, say if he wins. Yeah, that could be something. But yeah, that could be something, but... Like I, that first Stipe Francis fight was awesome. I liked that fight a lot. Yeah, I think that first round was wildly overlooked based on how the fight ended because Francis gassed. But our own Casey Lydon has, has said that he thinks Francis is the best heavyweight in the world right now. And I like again Stipe. Two. I think it would if he gets knocked down the first round again. Obviously, he probably wouldn't get the immediate re- another title shot. But say it's like a, a back and forth war, a controversial split decision. But again. We're talking about like this, like the fight has already happened. He still has to beat, the, like the fight still has to happen against DC. That's right. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at the rankings right now, and there isn't great options. It, it, the rankings go: uh, Stipe, Francis, JDS, Curtis Blades, Derek Lewis, Volkov, Overeem, Cain Velasquez. So we already saw in Ghana fight, you know, Overeem, Cain Velasquez. He's beaten uh, Curtis Blades twice. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And I mean, knocked him out in like 30 seconds the second time. JDS is still out there. He just he just melted him. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He just melted Junior. He's yeah, melted he's over him. Spot. It, it, Derek Lewis would be the guy. Yeah. There, if he beats Blackguard Ivanov, like say yeah. say Francis wants to 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 because he Francis lost that fight to to Derek Lewis because our former coworker Mark Raimondi had to drink beer out of his shoe because of that fight. That's right. So, yeah. so uh, I think you're on. I think that I think you hit it on the head. If Derek Lewis wins and. They do the trilogy, and Francis doesn't want to see. I mean, that I guess that's the only fight you can do. Maybe hopefully it's not a five rounder because I don't want to see a re- the replay of the first fight yeah. as a five rounder. But uh, well, a few Wait, more questions. Go ahead. This just popped in my head. Um, this is not my promo, but please UFC throw a boatload of money to Anthony Johnson at heavyweight. Imagine Jan- Anthony Johnson at heavyweight. That'd be the fight to make. Johnson versus uh, Ingana. Boom. Fat, fat, fat Rumble Johnson fighting Francis Ngannou. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd wa- I mean, I'm not gonna not watch it. I think that'd be fun. You think Anthony Johnson, who said that he retired because he wants like his health, his mental facilities still yeah. in order? You think he's gonna come out of retirement to fight Francis Ngannou? I mean, he, he's he said he like his dream is to fight John Jones, the freaking scariest guy on the planet. You know, like one of the most dangerous guys. Do you so, think John uh, Jones is scarier than Francis Ngannou? Not. Uh, 
I don't know. Ngannou's scarier. Ngannou's scarier. Ngannou's the scariest think, fighter I've I ever think, seen. I think um, <clears throat> Jones delivers, dishes out the same amount of damage in a different way. Like, your knees will be messed up. Your, you know what I'm saying? Your like, life will change. Yeah. You might get eye-poked. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> I mean, we saw, what, Thiago Santos tore every single lint, like ligament in his knee fighting John Jones and still fought five rounds, though. Francis Ngannou, you, gotta, you, gotta you wake poison, up. You know? Knees, brain cells, Knees or wake up wondering where you are. Because he has, as as Casey has also said, the touch of death. But a few more questions uh, from the same person. He's dropped a whole lot of conversations. Jose Aldo, do you believe he can have a good run of lightweight? As with Max, I don't see anything for him to achieve at featherweight. Well, I don't. I think there's a lot for Max Holloway to achieve at featherweight. The Vulcan Ozdemir's, the, the Beats, the Korean Zombies, Calvin Cater's, like, there's a lot of fights for Max Holloway at featherweight. But what do you think about Jose Aldo at lightweight? We don't... We don't for a while, that seemed to be where he wanted to go, especially when he was dominating featherweight division and he wanted more challenges. What would you... I'm not opposed to him jumping up to fight a lightweight yeah. whatsoever, but what do you say? For those that have been following me for a bit, I've been the biggest uh, supporter of it's, Jose Aldo at 155. It's exactly why I asked I you this love question. That. I, I always said it. I think Jose Aldo is... is um, I don't want to use this word, but he, he's... A, he's um, he could be a detriment to the featherweight division because he's so good. He's not going to get a title fight anytime soon. And if you just keep matching him up against contenders, he's just going to knock him out. I thought he was going to he was going to do that against uh, Volkanovski, and that wasn't the case. Vol- Volkanovski obviously uh, established himself as a, as a number one contender with that. But I think you know many other guys will fall short to Jose Aldo, and that doesn't mean they're not deserve the circle to fight Max Holloway. But it's just Jose Aldo is that good, so. I'd like to see him at 155. Look, you're not going to get another title shot, at least while Holloway has the belt, and it looks like he's not going to drop it anytime soon. Go up to 155, have some fun fights, create some excitement. I don't know. Maybe you create some enough excitement that you draw the interest of Conor McGregor. I don't know. or, or uh, I don't know. Just do, do interesting, fun fights. Uh, I, I think that's the way to go about it at, at this point in his career. Yeah, I'm not going to be opposed to watching Jose Aldo fight Donald Cerrone, Tony Ferguson, Anthony yeah. Pettis. Like, imagine... Jose Oliver versus Justin Gaethje, like that'd be amazing. I'd be amazing. So I just, I'll watch. But uh, to be fair, I'll watch any of the fighters I named fight like a wall. Like put them just like I'll watch them just punch a bag for five minutes and I'll be excited. But uh, again, moving on with one final question: Johnny Walker, do you think it's better for him to fight John Jones now, as not too much footage is available for Jones to analyze? If he fight, if he fights more, more weaknesses may be revealed. Interesting question. Uh, but Johnny Walker is booked against Corey Anderson. I like this fight, actually, because John Jones said that he's impressed with what Johnny Walker's done, but it's not like he's doing it to killers. Because John, if John, John himself said, if I'm fighting the same competition Johnny Walker's fighting, I'm doing the same thing. Uh, I want to see something new. Corey Anderson kind of had his feet to the fire with the UFC after Dana White put him on blast at UFC 240 press conference, where he said, Corey Anderson's turned down 50 fights. And yeah. within a day or two, all of a sudden, he's fighting Johnny Walker at MSG. So uh, I like that fight. It answers a lot of questions for both. I think if Corey Anderson goes out there and does what no one in the UFC has been able to do against Johnny Walker, give him John Jones, for sure. If Johnny Walker goes out there and knocks out Corey Anderson, which Corey Anderson's been knocked out by a lot of guys. He got melted yeah. by Jimmy Manuel and OSP. I don't. I, why, how do you not give Johnny Walker a shot at John Jones? Yeah, that's uh, that's a title eliminator right there, for sure. I'm Unless Jan Blakovic comes in. What's up? Jan Blackowitz could have a say in that too. Yeah, uh, but I still think he's he's a bit far. I mean, he knocked out uh, Rockhold, and um, who did he beat after that? Before that, 
uh, Jan, he lost to Tiago Santos, but that Tiago Santos Jan fight was also a title eliminator. Yeah. No, I, I, I still think I think Jan has the case, but I think still the winner of Anderson versus. I think Walker's. I think Jan has the case simply because John wants to fight again by the end of the year, and if Corey and Corey Anderson's already booked, Jan would just be the next man up. Yeah. But you know that that DC fight's coming up this weekend. Uh, I'm sure he wants to sit back and, and and not have anything booked. You know, have his calendar open because you never know. Maybe uh, he gets uh, they add an interesting date there to his Google calendar. So um, I think he'll sit out for a little bit. I know he wants to be active, but just because of the landscape, I think he'll probably sit out a, a little bit, giving enough room for either you know the DC matchup if DC wins. Or the winner of Anderson versus Walker, if all goes well and they don't have like any crazy injuries. I think if I'm the UFC, I try to if if John Jones does want to fight by the end of the year, John Jones has never fought MSG, New York boy. I think John Jones fighting maybe Jan in the main event of the MSG card and have Corey Anderson versus Johnny Walker be on that in case of an injury. Like say Jan gets hurt and Corey Anderson is already in camp, like why not have him bump up? Or Johnny yeah. Walker have already and like again and then that would make it so say the third DC fight doesn't happen you're already on the timeline with the next logical contender. So I think if Jan does fight Jan, I would like to see it on the same card as Walker first. And then again, but Dominic Reyes is fighting Chris Weidman in, in Boston. Like, say that That's fight. right. Chris Weidman moved up to a fight. Yeah, his first fight. And he, they've always wanted to fight, him and John Joseph, yeah. a friendly competition. So uh, you got Alzen Arashik out there. Like, him, he's making noises. So light, as much hay as light heavyweight division got in the last two years is all of a sudden super fascinating at the top. Yeah, and I, I think... You know, it went through a period where it was kind of lame, and I think it's just leaving that. Um, you know, I think the Luke Rockwood plan didn't pan out. If you would have won, that would have been really 100% exciting. 100% that would have but, happened. But I feel like give it a few months, and it's going to get more and more interesting. So, I, I, I'm it, the light. There's a lot of fun things on the horizon at 205 pounds, finally. And I think Daniel Cormier could inject another exciting fight, but I know everyone's going to be upset if he gets a third fight against John. Well, everyone's in the light heavyweight division will be upset. Like, Corey Anderson's yeah. going to probably be banging his head against the wall if he actually beats Johnny Walker and doesn't get a title fight. But uh, we're up out of time. As always, Danny Segura, the floor is yours. Whatever you want to say, have at it. So I know the main event for this weekend, uh, UFC fights, UFC 241, I know it's DC versus Stipe. I know it's a title fight, but I think the real, and this is no knock on, on, on the heavyweights, I think it's a, a great fight, but I think the real the real main event here is Nate Diaz versus Anthony Pettis, and I feel like Nate Diaz is not getting enough credit. I think Nate Diaz is just perceived as a byproduct to the Conor McGregor, the Conor McGregor rub, but I think that's so, 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 so wrong. And I just want to quickly spit out some facts. So... Nate Diaz still remains one of the most talked about fighters in the UFC in MMA period. I mean, I wouldn't say it's just as much as Conor McGregor, but he's definitely what, like you would say, like top five for sure. And most for sure. About fighters, for sure. Right? Easy. And this is what Conor McGregor has done since they fought. So he fought uh, Eddie Alvarez and won a second belt. Huge moment. He fought Mayweather. Huge moment. Right? He's had a bunch of legal issues, which... You know, they're not good, but they've definitely kept them in the news. And they've definitely kept them, you know, on the public eye and his name circling around. Guess what Nate Diaz has done since their fight three years ago? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Yet he still remains one of the most talked about fighters in the UFC. 
If you look at the UFC's YouTube page, they've put out uh, a countdown for the card, right? Guess how many views the main event has? Um, 600,000. Oh, pretty close, yeah. Uh, 549. Wow. Guess how many DS Pettis has? 1.6 million. 1.5. Damn, oh, pretty man. close. Oh, man. Wow, look at that. Yeah, you're on it. Also, the last episode, the first episode of Embedded has 860K, uh, and that was released on Monday. The one released yesterday that, you know, the first one didn't feature Nate Diaz. This one did. And the thumbnails Nate Diaz has already the same amount of views uh, from an episode that got released, you know, two days ago. My goodness. So it's pretty clear that people want to see Nate Diaz fight. It's pretty clear that he's a draw. So I think we just need to face it. Nate Diaz is a star. Nate Diaz is an absolute superstar, and I'm very glad that that was your promo because my promo is the man he's fighting. I think Anthony Pettis might have one of, if not the most impressive resumes of the last few years I have ever seen in MMA history. Not just a lightweight. I mean, dating back to like his first fight in the like one of his first few fights in the UFC, Clay Guida, who was still a contender at the time, Benson Henderson, like even in the WC, Benson Henderson, he's fought in Eddie Alvarez. Tony Ferguson, Wonderboy Thompson at welterweight, Max Holloway at featherweight, um, Dustin Poirier. Like, just, you, he's fought in – I don't think he's fought anyone outside of top five. Maybe, like, top ten probably. Like, the easiest – and I, when I say easiest, this is no knock. I think the, the easiest, quote-unquote, opponent he had was Jim Miller, and who has the most fights in UFC and at that his, time, at that in time. UFC history. So yeah. I think Anthony Pettis low-key has been one of – I think him being – he fought Rafael Dos Anjos, fought Gilbert Melendez. Like he's fighting champions, former champions, former title contenders because people forget Clay Guido was the first strike force champion ever back in the day. So he's fighting the absolute best of the best. I can't remember the last time he's had a quote-unquote day off, like an easy fight, gimme fight he should win. So yeah. the fact that people are also kind of overlooking this Anthony Pettis because this is the Nate Diaz show. Anthony Pettis is not an easy win, especially in three rounds. Because that fight against Tony Ferguson, he dropped him a lot. And the only fight, reason that fight ended is because he broke his hand. It's not like he was finished in the fight. So I think Anthony Pettis should not be overlooked, especially against Nate Diaz. He was also in the Wheaties, Wheaties box. As Nate Diaz said, I'm fighting, the guy, I'm fighting the Wheaties guy. But for that, I'm Jose Youngs. That is Danny Segura. I am here in Los Angeles. We're about to head to Anaheim for the UFC 240 Open Workouts. We're going to have all the fun contents, the videos. Esther will have her awesome photos. Uh, Danny will be manning a lot of the social stuff, so stay around for that. But for Jose, that's Danny. We're out. See you next time.